welcome to One Size Does Not Fit All with Well Life Tribe. We're sponsored by Renourish. Renourish are delicious grab-and-go fresh soups in a pioneering, heatable, fully recyclable bottle. Renourish soups are plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free and packed with vitamins. Find them in all Waitrose stores. And welcome to the Well Life Try podcast. One size does not fit all. With me, Liberty, and today I'm joined by Kat. Hi, Kat. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Still in lockdown. Where are we, week four? Are we in week four? Oh, well, yeah, I think they're about to tell us we've got another three weeks here, aren't they? So, um, yes. I've been, I have, I have to tell you, I haven't slept very well for the last couple of days, I've got to say. And I'm not, I, I'm having really weird dreams <laughs> have you had any i don't know if i'm on my own here we have been having crazy dreams and james looked into it and said that when people live at qu- close quarters intensely that provokes um really lucid dreams and we've all been having them yeah, which prompted my- about people that i haven't seen for years you know you're just like Woo, what happened there and i feel really oh. bad like, i think i dreamt about an ex-boyfriend the other day and i was i woke up going oh my god uh, I don't want to say about that, <laughs> but not in that sense. I'm gonna put that. Okay. okay. <laughs> but I'm just having really strange. I don't know. It's just really odd. I don't know. It's the it's the dreams when I'm waking up feeling weird. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Just like, oh God, what the hell was that? Where? I don't remember thinking about that for about 25 years. So are you falling asleep and then having crazy dreams and waking up and you can't get back to sleep? Yeah. Well, I fell asleep. I was in the middle of a dream yesterday, which I thought I quite liked. And then my dog woke me up vomiting because he'd been chewing <gasps> sticks. <laughs> and I was like, you've just oh. ruined a really good dream. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so no, it's another, it's been a good week. We've been, you know, I think the more that we're in this, we're getting used to it. We're coming around to the idea of, you know, how we work, how we flow with each other. And it's all good. I think it's just the occasional sleep. But sleep's kind of one of my Achilles heels anyway. So yeah. it's going to be one of the first things to a bit weird yeah not ignoring the horror of the situation um and kind of loving lockdown it just simplifies everything for me i don't have to wear clothes i am wearing clothes. <laughs> you um, yeah what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> i don't have to wear makeup um it's just sort of a simple life i'm, I'm looking forward to going out again and I, god knows i'll be happy when people are feeling well again and um I don't know, there's just a lot of horrible stuff going on, but for the positives for me, um, spending time as a family and really looking at each other, like I've been really looking at my kids recently and noticing things about them that I guess you just kind of, you know, you're on this hamster wheel all the time, aren't you? You like, yeah. hurry up and do this, hurry up and do that, hurry up and, and actually sitting and listening to them. And you know, you can't say, no, I haven't got time to watch your show. I have watched a lot of shows um, <laughs> that they put on for me. Um, oh, and I watched that weird tiger one. What was it? You told me about Tiger oh. Man or something. Oh, Tiger King. <laughs> tiger King. You said watch it. I watched it. It was awful. <laughs> yeah, I'm not taking your recommendations again. I had to watch something funny before I went to bed because that put me in a really weird mood. I was just like, I just oh, thought God. it was. 
it was such a, the characters in it were so crazy i, I yeah. i'm sorry carol baskin how can you go wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah no very very strange <laughs> um so yeah it's a very weird time but um it is exactly that it's time there's just so much time to do things not that anything very productive is getting done over here um but it's a time that will eventually end and when it does things will have to start getting more serious again and for a lot of people it will be a really difficult time to go back to because if you're not working um so many people in manual jobs and so on are unable to work and other people will have been running businesses which will i mean we're going back into a really serious time of recession and there's just going to be have there's going to be so much rebuilding to do um yeah. which is quite scary that kind of leads us neatly into a lovely guest this week because we're joined by someone very special who is also someone who has overcome a lot in her life um, we're joined today by Katie Woodland. Hi, Katie. Hi, Liberty. Hi, Katie. Hi, How are you? I'm good, thank you. Very well, thank you. Katie, um, before we start with you, we just want you to um, tell our listeners what it is you do. Okay, so um, I am a maverick psychologist, business coach, uh, TEDx speaker, and a best-selling author. Just that. Just, that. <laughs> Just a tiny job that you have. <laughs> Katie, we, um, we both know loads about you um, because obviously we, we've um, spoken to you and, and I've read lots about you, but you are extraordinary and it's hard to know where to start, but would you, <laughs> would you, <laughs> you really have overcome a lot in your life. And um, we we we'd love to be able to share your story, just because I think it's so inspiring, and there's so much that people can identify of themselves in your story. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, um, although I'm only 36, um, which my partner keeps reminding me, closer to 40 than 30, which I'm sure is great for your listeners. So I, I'm getting there. I'm almost. A I don't want to talk to you now. <laughs> Almost a qualified listener, just not quite. Um, so even, even though I'm technically still quite young, um, my very early years were quite traumatic. Um, so I grew up on an RAF base and moved around the country quite a lot, which was sounds really exciting. And I'm very lucky to have a super supportive family. However, my experiences at school, regardless of where we were in the country um, or my age, so throughout my school years, I experienced um, extreme bullying. And so it was, you know, verbal name calling, complete ostracization, um, bullying. And at one point, um, I, the, the most vivid memory is being thrown down a flight of stairs by five girls. Oh, and wow. um, so this was the age of 15. And by this time I was pretty uh, resilient and I'd learned to fight back, but that was just kind of every single day. Um, I experienced three, I'm very lucky that I only experienced three incidents of sexual abuse, but they happened, I think the first time I was 
seven or eight. The next time was, I was age 10 and that was by a friend. And then at 16, um, and then once I left school, I went and got a job um, and very, very luckily manifested my, my soulmate at the age of 17. Um, we're still together now, 19 years later. Wow. I know, it's crazy. Um, inside that, um, I flunked out of college because of everything that had kind of been building up I started drinking alcohol at age like 13 just to kind of get through the day and um, so I flunked out of college um, turned up one too many times drunk and they asked me to leave um, and ended up in retail which is where I went met Matt but um, if you've ever worked in a shop, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the politics isn't great. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, if I'm a manager, I don't have to deal with the politics, but actually the higher up you go, the more politics you get. And the kind of the same, uh, bullying, psychological abuse and all of that kind of still happened. Um, one manager locked me in a safe. It was a big supermarket. So it was a proper a walk-in safe. He locked me in the safe. Oh um, you know, I'd go to work and I'd be asked, you know, what underwear you got on? You got matching underwear on? Show us, show us your nipple. Like it was just, it was rife throughout. Um, oh and even though I had such a caring, loving family, by the age of 21, uh, March 2004, on my way to work, which was another one which wasn't that pleasant, I was driving down the M6 and the closer I was getting, the more panic I could feel. Um, and I don't know if you've, ne if you've ever had real anxiety, mine kind of manifests like you don't know whether you're going to vomit or faint and kind of both at the same time and you just get this uncontrollable wave of, of sheer panic. Um, and then in that moment, I decided, you know, I just can't do, I cannot do this anymore. Um, and I made the decision, do you know what? I'm just going to end it. Like, I can't do this for another eight years. Like, th this is, this is 21 years of sheer horror. Um, you know, I can't afford to just stay at home. I have to have a job and all my jobs are the same. All my education's the same. Um, Had you talked to anybody at this point though? No family did your mum know what was no so it told you tell people when you're young and um, that somebody's picking on you and they're being mean to you and teachers and parents always you know it's like just ignore them and you'll be okay and I tried that um but mm. bullies don't tend to ignore you <laughs> if they want to do it they'll find you um yeah. so you're, the toilet cubicle becomes your best friend but then they still know you're in there um so in the beginning it was just ignore them um and then as you get older it's like well don't tell tales and you know lots of schools have zero bullying tolerances um zero tolerance for bullying but that just means that it doesn't happen like they don't see it um so by the time i was a teenager i just stopped just stopped talking about it and i just you know i i figured out very unhelpfully that the only person who was ever going to look after me was me and I needed to learn to fight I needed to learn to look after myself um, and obviously through school what really got me through school was knowing that once I'd left school it's a whole new world out there um, mm. so I think that's what drove me to just keep going to school keep going and I love learning like I, I, I'm addicted to learning so I used to love learning um, but it wasn't just like the, the pupils, like the, some of the teachers are pretty vicious as well. And because um, 
I work hard. I do well at exams. I will like plan of like go and go and go and go and go until I've got something then go to the exam fill out the exam and go home and forget everything um so I kept getting put in top set but they do intelligence tests and my intelligence was below average um and so I used to get from the chemistry teachers specifically um don't sit at the front because you're taking up room from somebody who's gonna pass or go and sit well, they actually said that to you yeah 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 go and sit next to Emma her intelligence might rub off on you um, what? They actually yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Me, me and my dad sat at one um, parents' evening and the head of physics, who was also the head of year nine, was going through my SAT results and his words were, I can't believe you're going into top set again and doing triple sciences. Like, you are taking vital space out of somebody who could uh, do something with their lives. <laughs> I was just like, that is so it was just, it, I mean, I know now why it was kind of all happening, but back then, you know, it's just, it didn't matter where, where, who I was talking to, what the situation was at some point, like my friends were vile to, it was just a big, hot, toxic mess of, of, uh, my first 21 odd, 22, 23 years. Um, yeah so so back to being on the m6 like it's really weird so for anyone who's listening to this i do apologize if i'm triggering things um but for anybody who's kind of decided you know what i want to end everything you get this relief like i have never felt um that peaceful it was just i can do this i don't have to deal with this anymore this is this is amazing. Um, and then your brain does really weird stuff. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so how do I run my car off the road without hurting anyone else? Like, I don't, I don't want to harm anyone else. Like, that's just like, that's not me. I don't want to hurt anyone. Um, and cause I was in the fast lane, I had to kind of maneuver over to the, the left-hand lane by which time the traffic had come to a standstill. And I was like wedged between these two lorries with no way of getting off the motor, no way of doing it. Um, and and I, I've never been so angry and never felt so useless um, that I couldn't even do this simple thing that people do all the time, you know, and it kind of just compounded. You are useless. You are worthless. Like you can't even do this. Um, and I am so grateful to that traffic jam because after 45 minutes of being wedged there, um, it enabled me to actually really see that I have a different choice. I just need to, I need to step away from what's going on and um i just i got off at the next stop and went back but i could obviously i just walked away from a job but i hadn't told them and so i went back home to and i live with my boyfriend i live with matt by that point and i drove back to my mum's um and i got out of the car um and as i was trying to talk to her i had to keep stopping to throw up to go and tell her that i need you to ring them to tell them i'm not coming back because even the thought of going to the phone was like whoosh um and then you know i slept for two weeks <laughs> afterwards oh, <laughs> i was just oh. like um, did you tell your mum what you did what had just happened um i told her that i wasn't going back so she knew i wasn't happy at work um, but it's really interesting is I didn't actually tell my mum about any of the bullying until about a couple of years ago. So did you tell her about the M6, about being in your car and all that yeah. stuff? 
No, she found out via one of my blogs. <laughs> I had, I told the world um, and she, she's on my mailing list and that's how she found out. So um, <laughs> that was an interesting conversation. You know, she was sat there going, why didn't you tell me? And I understand why it will have hurt her. Um, but if you talk to somebody who has, I didn't heal until 2017. So a lot of the time I didn't want to tell her because I was still kind of dealing with it. And the other thing is like, none of that matters to me anymore. Like I literally can talk about it and I get a little bit like, Ooh, it's a bit emotional because it is emotional, Very. Um, but actually it doesn't affect me. So the real barrier is seeing the people you love look at you like you're a victim. Like that would have killed me if I was ever trying to tell someone and they looked at me like I was dif different. Um, and though that's kind of happened is because I know that it's just them processing it. It doesn't actually affect, affect me anymore. So I, I know it sounds really strange, but it was the, I couldn't cope with the, and it sounds really bad, like disappointment. And it's like, how would my mom and dad be disappointed in something that was going, but it's just the, it's the crazy things your brain does. But yeah, so my, they, they know. Um, but yeah, I kind of told the world. Um, and the first time I spoke publicly about the sexual abuse was my TEDx talk, mm -hmm. um, which was only last September. So even people who I've helped, people I've worked with, um, who watched that and they were like, I did, never knew. Um, and I was like, yeah, and I've shared it to my mom and dad and we'll see what they say because I haven't told them either. It's easier to tell random people than it is to tell the people you love. So um, their reaction to it. So Matt, Matt knew within the first six months because I kind of like freaked out the first time we got, we started enjoying ourselves. Um, so it kind of all splurted. So I'm very lucky that actually for the last 19 years, I've had somebody who's known and I've been able to talk about and he never treated me differently because it all happened very early on in our relationship. So, you know, if I hadn't have had Matt, I don't know, I probably wouldn't be here. Um, like yeah it's kind of sobering but probably pretty pretty close to the truth and has it made your family relationships better um <laughs> more honest, i mean in terms of you know because obviously your your mum found out on a like a mailer and yeah then tedx talk all of these things have come out years later you know um, that made I think, everybody feel i think it's um there's an acknowledgement but it's not a conversation you kind of sit down and start over a cuppa which sounds really strange so everybody just kind of knows it's all happened um and then we just carry on as normal not because we're dismissing it but we're a really close family so it's it's the same as it all coming out and me being i think the fact that they see me happy and healthy and having dealt with it do they really want to know the details because because you don't um you know if i'm saying oh you know this incident happened but i'm all right with it then that's that's kind of as much as the conversation went um but yeah so it's still it hasn't changed the dynamics which is which is the thing i was really worried about yeah that's good isn't that yeah i guess had it been the other way around and it was you were still in a real mess dying for some help there then I guess it would have opened up Pandora's box and everything would have had to come pouring out. But right. So, so where did this lead you after that? So, um, 
after deciding that retail was toxic, um, mm. unfortunately, having uh, flunked out of college, it, I didn't have any options. Um, and this is like way back before people started talking about mental health. So I didn't even know that's what was going on. Um, you know, I just assumed oh, this is just really bad. I'm just really not coping very well. Um, like I didn't know about the pressure anxiety or anything like that. Um, and it was my youngest sister um, passed all her ASs and she got into um, a really good university to study psychology. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> like, what's psychology? Um, and she was like, oh, it's where you help people with mental illness. And I was like, well, what, what, what do you mean by mental illness? And she was like, well, depression, anxiety, and depression's kind of like this. And I was just like, oh, my God, I totally have that. <laughs> and I was like... That was like two or three years after um, the whole M6 stuff. And I was like, oh, there was a reason why I felt like that. Got it. Um, and so she kind of sparked the, oh, actually, I wonder whether I can go do that. Um, I very luckily found out about the uh, access courses. So if you haven't got A-levels and you've never been to university and you're over 21, you can go and do a course, which is like a, a year thing, which gives you the equivalent grades to um, AS yeah. levels. Right. Um, and you can go to university. So I was just like, oh, I can do that. So, you know. Yeah, and that's the thing, you can, there's other things you can do. Yeah. You know, the access courses are like equivalent to two or three, aren't they? Yeah, enough to go. Like if you pass, they're enough to go. Um, and that, that was the start, really. I went, I went and did um, criminology and psychology because I wanted to, having been in retail and, and as a manager of many fast fashion retail stores, is I ended up working with lots of 16, 17-year-olds, um, young people going down the wrong path or had experiences like me. And I was like, okay, well, if I can go and do criminology and psychology, then I can stop them getting to the point that I did. And I realised that that was just completely wrong. So then I did a master's in child psychology because um, all the research shows, you know, you've got a, if you can get to them before they're three, like it's really early. You mm. can go three. Wow, that is. Yeah. yeah. So usually it, it, if, if you can support them before three to, to develop, um, you know, good coping mechanisms and all of those things, you can safeguard them that they don't end up inside. That was the thing that really upset me about the whole criminal justice side of things is is these young people who are at risk i.e you know parents are alcoholics that they, they will know that baby will end up inside like huge risk factors um and we leave them and we, we leave them to, to do this um i literally spoke my the whole of my third year undergrad like crying my eyes out like but but we know this like we, we're leaving them to do this is insane um so I was like oh well if I do um child psychology and I learn about all of the early stuff then I can you know work at all the prevention stuff and um, that's starting to come through again now but it's because it's prevention there's very little money because it's a well they might go down this path compared to they are criminals mm -hmm. um so it, it that was the big frustration with all of my masters was actually this is this is the perfect area of psychology and it will never get any investment like this is how we save lives we save families we save children we we save the country hundreds of thousands because yeah, it would literally change the world wouldn't it yeah. if we started at that point with those families and worked on children yeah. from that point i think and the problem is there's a finite amount of money and perceptually 
if the government would say, okay, well, it costs £33,000 to keep somebody in young offenders. We're going to take that away and give um, the exact amount, say one person in young offenders is 33,000. That mm. could pay for a psychologist mm. who works with 20 families every three months. So the amount of people you affect is, is exponentially huge. Mm. But if you say you're gonna release young offenders into society, what the public gonna say? So this is why yeah. more and more yeah. money goes into prisons it, uh, even though they don't work is because society feels safer um so be, being able to break the cycle is is the thing but it's um weird isn't it because i was listening to the news today about at the moment you know like domestic violence at the moment and it's mm. obviously went up 120 percent last week yeah alone which is absolutely massive and this all kind of connects in a way doesn't it um you know like from we're in this chain that we can't get out of but yet if we put investments in the right area yeah. and we solve quite a lot of these problems yeah there's some i'm, I'm going to probably butcher it but i'm sure i had a statistic the other day that um somebody who is a victim of domestic violence whether it's male or whether you're male or female is you will leave your partner um at least seven or eight times before you leave for good mm. um you've learned to be that way um unless you have the right skills and understanding and knowledge and safety net to to break free um, and what we do is we, we may give um, somebody a, a hostel um, but then okay well go go and go and sort your life out well like how do i do that like this where do i start yeah it's everything's so disjointed um and i i am so grateful to my mum because um, she's <laughs> not that academic. And as when we were younger, uh, we could go to my dad for help, who is very academic and very, very intelligent. Um, and he would just give you the answers or he would kind of show you a really complicated way of doing something. So like I used to stress him out with maths a lot, <laughs> but my mom, like she didn't have the answers. Um, and we were quite lucky as children. We had one of those, do you remember the Britannica, um, Encyclopedia Britannica collections? Oh yeah. Like I swear it took up three shelves, giant red books. And my mum would be like, go and look at the encyclopedia which isn't encyclopedias yeah it isn't that helpful if you're struggling with the alphabet and all of those things but that was my mum's like okay well this is how you spell it go and find it and so that's kind of been the whole way I kind of lived my life is do you know what? okay like any problem is solvable I just need to find the right information and I need to find somebody who can help me to do it. Like if I've got that combo, um, it's, it's amazing. And most of the time I was the person who was kind of like just doing it. Um, I'm an implementer. I get excited. I have an idea and I go and do it. Um, and if it fails, it doesn't matter. I just go do something else. <laughs> so I'm one of those forever starters and sometimes finisher type people. <laughs> no, I love that. I'm a bit of one of those as well. Um, I just sort of where you are today, again, kind of yeah. coming back to it, kind of, because you help a lot of people with what you've been through. Yeah. Uh, so from your kind of journey, kind of coming through it, you know, and you've explained what it feels like to go that. So, so you specifically help people, don't you now, who've had a similar-ish journey? Yeah, so it sounds really strange, but I am truly grateful and extremely blessed to have had the experiences I've had because it's enabled me to figure out a way to heal. Um, so it took me a long time because I had to go and learn to be a psychologist, go and learn of all of these other techniques that are really powerful. So I went and learned it all. Um, but because I've both been through it 
and understand it from a, a healer's point of view, um, I do think I'm very well placed to help people who then are struggling. Um, and one of the things that comes through a lot with my clients is there's no judgment. And I think that matters a lot. Um, and I was like, well, I, I, can't, I don't judge because it's just an experience. And, you know, I behave appallingly coming through a lot of it because we just do. Um, but yeah, so I help female entrepreneurs specifically now, um, which was kind of another weird morph of fate. Um, and they tend to be um, female entrepreneurs who want to leave a legacy because they will have been through something that scarred them emotionally. And that's what's fueled their desire to create their business. Um, and so the only way that they can do that successfully is by actually clearing out um, any of the emotional, I call them like purge the demons, um, mm. so that you can actually spend the time you need to invest in your business without feeling guilty with it, without dragging this bag of rubbish with you forever. But yeah, so some experiences are similar, some are different, but they all tend to be women who have struggled for a very long time. Um, usually since childhood, probably had therapy, multiple therapies before on medication. And most of my clients have attempted suicide at least once. Um, yes, it's, it's, it's pretty heavy, heavy stuff, but um, magical, truly magical. So it's it quite to... niche. Yeah. It's quite um, a, sort of a niche category there. How did it evolve that way? I mean, I know that you trained the very conventional route, which we find really exciting. You have both that conventional and that, that well, it's holistic now, isn't it? The yeah, way that you, really. the way yeah. you work. But then you're, the people you're helping is, is very specific that they are female. Um, and goodness knows being a woman is, you know, has all these. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But entrepreneurs, that's interesting. How did that come about? Yeah, so um, after training and working in an NHS-led service and realising that actually there's so much red tape uh, and, you know, unfortunately our mental health services don't get very much money at all, that waiting lists are, um, particularly when I was working, you know, in the NHS-led service, the waiting lists were like 12 to 18 months for help. And if you were extremely unwell, then you were on a crisis unit. Um, and if there were no beds, it was that. I was on a level three service um, and level four is crisis. So if you weren't, were above level three, we didn't help you. If you were below level three, we didn't help you. And so a lot of my job was telling people they weren't ill enough or they were too ill. And I was right. just like, <laughs> I, like I, didn't I didn't train for, to just do diagnosis and say no, like that's, that wasn't it. I learned that you can heal people. Like, why am I heal healing people? Yeah. Um, and I just was like, do you know what? I can't do this. This is, this is just killing me. And so I went and set up on my own going, you know what, there, there's loads of ill people out there because I've been turning away for two years. And so I was very lucky in the beginning that um, I was able to get referrals from the local authority, both um, child and adolescent mental health, um, because that's where I was specialising at the time. Um, and then lots of adults were coming through as well who, who were saying, look, I'm, I'm happy to go private. Please, please just, just give me somebody. But then in 2016, the local authority, <laughs> it's crazy, our local authority lost the funding for our own mental health service and it went to an adjacent local authority, which is insane. But so they brought with them all of their contractors and pretty much overnight a lot of the charities disappeared, a lot wow. of the services that were set up that had been doing wonderful in our area just just 
just vanished but I was determined I was never going back to work for somebody else. Um, and so then decided, right, okay, well, I see, you know, people in America can, there are therapists in America who get clients online. So there must be a way we can do it over here. Even if I'm kind of like one of the early adopters, I'll just watch, I will just model what's going on in America. And so then I started um, investing heavily <laughs> in lots of business training and sales training and all of those things to build my business um, and ended up in lots of female entrepreneur groups. Um, and I'd be in there um, trying to get help for my business and then right. started recruiting because obviously I was pumping out lots of stuff about heal yourselves emotionally and in the entrepreneur groups um, trying to get help for my business and then giving like random bits of business advice back if I found it um I started very quickly getting lots of female entrepreneurs coming through being like hey do you know what actually I think I'm really struggling emotionally uh what you put up was really powerful thank you for all those things and so that it kind of morphed and the, the really weird thing is I was doing um the intensive holistic therapy program with someone and she was saying oh I'm really really confused because I was doing this thing about my business. It was, that was the thing that was stressing her out. She was trying to do this business thing and she just wasn't getting it. And so I grabbed the laptop, like mid therapy, um, you know, I'm probably going to get struck off mid therapy, <laughs> grabbed the laptop. We opened up our website and I was like, Oh, well, if you do this, 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 like take us 10 minutes, we'll do it together. Um, and then we'll just carry on the session afterwards. Um, and then all of those little things started happening. And I was like, okay, well, actually, out of integrity to all the work we've done, it's negligent of me if I just emotionally fix them and then their business is broken and that's the thing that derails them and it just kind yeah. of morphed into this psychologist business coach thing. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, it's fun, but the, the whole ethos is, you know, you, you can't build a business that you love that's going to support you, that's going to leave that legacy if you don't focus on your emotional healing because you yeah. just exhaust yourself so it's it's interesting we do lots of business stuff but the, the the main focus is okay well let's heal let's heal let's heal and it just kind of all happens because when we start our businesses none of us know anything about websites or businessing and we manage to get loads of clients because we feel awesome and then we start learning business stuff then we feel overwhelmed and the clients just seem to disappear <laughs> You're like well now that i know all this like what's going on <laughs> yeah. and it is it's just we've had business overwhelm that's that's blocked our uh, uh, emotional ability to to receive but yeah it's interesting so i trained as a psychologist but very early on and very quickly, I realized that actually, you know, counseling um, and CBT and psychotherapy and all of those things, they don't, it's not a one, much like your podcast, it's not a one size fits all. And actually, unless you are helping the individual heal from the specific things that they're struggling with, you'll never be able to help them. They'll always be a little bit broken, although we'll always um, struggle again. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of, when I was on my healing journey and helping my clients heal, every time they had a problem, I'd be like, okay, well, actually what I know now that's not going to help you get the result you want. So I would just dive into all the psychology journals. Um, you know, I listened to a million different self-development podcasts. I learned about things that if you'd have told me about when I was doing uh, my training, I mean, I would have committed myself to the insane asylum. Like, <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. it's crazy. But all of those things... I do a, I do a tarot reading every morning. I love it. I can't, it was, it's oh, that's what I was talking to you about last week, wasn't it? It's one of my favorite 
things my angel it's one of my favorite things and my big introduced it to me and when I was really you know having the whole turning point in my business and I sat her down at the kitchen table I was like Sally I'm really worried that you've just given me these these cards like I'm worried that you're using this (laughs) Um, but I, I love it I, I just love it. And, you know, it's not something that I would speak to all of my clients about. But to, uh, one of my clients actually ended up becoming a tarot reader. Um, wow. But, yeah, uh, I, I, but it's just if, if they are interested in spirituality and, and there is research behind if you are working with somebody who is religious um, and you can tweak what you're saying and match it to their religious beliefs, they will heal more. Um, so right. it's spirituality so I had a duty to my clients to go and understand about numerology and crystals and stuff like that because this is something that they believed in um and then now I believe in everything like <laughs> all of it. welcome to one size does not fit all with well life tribe we're sponsored by Renourish. Renourish are delicious grab-and-go fresh soups in a pioneering, heatable, fully recyclable bottle. Renourish soups are plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free, and packed with vitamins. Find them in all Waitrose stores. It sounds like, though, um you are sort of this is your purpose that you can read people in that way you know when something is appropriate for them and when it's not when to get the cards out when to keep them in the box um what i'm interested in is how you healed yourself because something in you was strong all the way through all of this now bringing you in your journey to the point where you are i mean clearly amazing in in what you do (laughs) professionally but so many people wouldn't have been able to draw that strength at such a young age before you were qualified in this way to get yourself through all those dark times. So how did you, how do you think, I mean, you said when your sister started to study, you were like, I didn't even realize I've had anxiety this whole time. So you were clearly like a, a blank page then. What yeah. did you, how did you heal yourself, do you think? So I, I think that I am very lucky with the fact that, um, so because of growing up in the RAF, and my mum's a nurse, so we grew up medical model. Um, and if you talk to people our age you know you didn't talk about mental health so if it was going on like it wasn't something you spoke about anyway so because I didn't know and I knew that I could be happy because I'd experienced happiness and not every single day was traumatic but there was lots of trauma Um, and I also you know intelligent enough to recognize that actually it was a long way down long way down and I was just like well that's okay because I'll just undo it like I I don't even I mean it sounds insane but I was just like well I'll just get back there like I'll just figure out the things I need to do to undo the stuff I've done to get back to being there and what's really exciting is it wasn't until 2007 um, so while I was an undergrad is all the research about neuroplasticity started to come out um, and he didn't get the, the guy who kind of started talking about it didn't even get his Nobel Prize until 2016 so it's still really really new um, and so if you're talking to older psychologists and older doctors is they won't have embraced the idea of neuroplasticity they just you know you you have a mental illness that's it for life um and i never bought into that even when i was being told that at university because i was like well that just can't be true because i was trying to commit suicide and i i'm never going to be that way again um so i had that internal 
resilience to go I just don't believe you so I'm not gonna pay attention to it um naively or, or not but um you know, it's quite nice because now I've been proven right that actually all it is is a, is a wiring process. So I always kind of say to my clients, it's kind of like uh, the first time you get on a bike um, and you're pedaling, um, we, we don't use, we don't break or stop anything with our hands. So as soon as we're going fast, the first thing we want to do is put our feet on the floor. Like that's our mm -hmm. natural reaction. And over time, you learn to pull the handlebars because you retrain yourself to pull your handlebars. It's the same you just need to figure out a different way of your brain wiring and we've got so many different like um i used to get quite frustrated um because there's lots and lots and lots of case studies where people have had horrific head injuries um absolutely horrific like you know being shot um you know holes in heads and all of these things and mm. And they can then rewire so that they're fully functioning. Um, and then there was the boy with no brain. I don't know whether you've seen the documentary. It was on my five a few years ago, but a young lad called Noah Wall. Um, I spoke to his mum. She's phenomenal. I rang her to say, can I keep talking about your son? <laughs> because I think it's phenomenal. And I had a great chat with her. So hopefully she'll forgive me for talking about him again. Um, but he was born with spina bifida and he ended up with just 3% brain mass at birth. So 3%. So that literally 97% uh, of his brain was, was just water. Um, and so he was only supposed to live for maybe a couple of months, um, but she was dedicated, uh, the whole family was, well, okay, well, even if he's, he can't move, we're going to make his life as exciting as possible. And they would read stories to them and do puppets and get him moving so that he didn't get bed sores and stuff. And age three, he was talking and racing around on this little wheelchair. And he went back to the medical community and they did another MRI scan. And his brain was at 85%. Oh, wow. my God. Yeah. But it just shows you, doesn't it? Well, oh you know, we start off as two little cells. We have the ability in us to to grow and become whatever we want to become. Um, we don't give birth and all of a sudden where we are, I mean, because babies don't talk, they learn to talk. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'd always had the belief that actually we can do anything. We just need to learn how. We just need to figure it out. We need to find someone, find the information, we can make it happen. Um, but there was, once I kind of started on that path, there was all these little bits of nuggets of information that just proved it and proved it and proved it. Um, and I used to get all my clients to go and watch The Boy With No Brain before we'd start. I'd be like, you go and watch that first. <laughs> that will give you the belief that this is going to work. Like I can talk to you till the days come home, but you seeing that boy's yeah. brain literally grow afterwards, like that's, that's the thing that does it. The other so thing you mentioned um, is that part of your healing process is forgiveness. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it is the most powerful uh, healing tool. Uh, is the hardest one. It is the one that you will always do last. Um, and it's really interesting when we talk about forgiveness because forgiveness is not saying that what the other person did was right or letting them get off with it. It's actually about you being able to let go of that emotional attachment you have to that negative, that, to that memory. And I resisted, I subconsciously resisted forgiving for a very long time because, you know, if we're struggling with anxiety, your brain's got, a, it's so good at helping you procrastinate and avoid things. Like it, it, that's what it does automatically. Um, 
And so I, I only became mentally healthy in 2017, um, even though I'd been trying for ages. And I was well before then, but actually I wasn't free until then. So that's the distinction. I was actually well and functioning and supporting lots of my clients through things. Um, and I hadn't realized I didn't have freedom yet. But I was at a um, conference, a two-day conference, and Immaculate Illy Bigaza, um, who survived the Rwandan genocide in 2004, her story's phenomenal. Um, she stood up and she started talking, she told her story. Um, and I'd already heard the story of Eva Kaur, who was one of Dr. Mengele's twins in the Holocaust, um, 12 months before. And I thought, wow, she's powerful. She forgave all of the Nazis, like that's insane. Uh, but at the back of my mind, like I get that she did that, but she she waited 50 years. So I'm all right if I don't forgive yet. <laughs> like that's what was going on in the back of my mind, yeah. right? Um, not not on purpose, but obviously it was like, oh, she forgave. Well, I'm not ready to. Um, and that's okay, because she took a while. But so pretty much 12 months after, I was listening to Immaculate speak. And I was sat there going, do you know what? If she can forgive somebody for massacring her yeah. entire race, like do you know what? I can forgive. I, like, I can forgive. And on the tube back, so I was staying with my little sister in London, on the tube back, I was like, okay, well, I would just go through my phone and I would just send messages to people like, um, you know, do you know what? Like, I forgive you. Let's just start again, if you want. And if not, don't worry about it. And like, it was just, I got off the tube and all the messages then went. Because <laughs> I was like, I was just like selling. And I think that was kind of the safety there. Well, I'm sending it, but it's not that I'm not going to get a message back <laughs> yeah you know yeah everything just went and I just put my phone away and I was like you know what I literally feel free like, and that's like changing a neuro pathway isn't it as well because you stayed in that habit of not forgiving for a while like you say but you change it by forgiving don't you but the real power comes and this is what people don't talk about is so I forgave them but actually the person that I need to forgive is myself mm. because it every single point in time I could have made a different choice even in the horrific uh, things that were happening I could have made a different choice and could have affected the outcome and I didn't so it's only when you forgive yourself for putting yourself in that situation or staying in that situation or continuing that situation that's when you find freedom because it's you and it's that's the only time you ever have real control like if you can't forgive yourself for being in that situation, then you were always saying somebody else has control over how you feel. Um, but it was that. So even with Immaculate and had the horrific things that they went through, they could have left because the, the genocide, you know, there was lots of proof that it was all going to happen and come to a head and they could have left and they didn't. Even with Eva Kaur, for four years, uh, the Nazis occupied where they were before they ended up in the concentration camps. Like, they could have left. Lots of families left. Um, so it's only when we actually really own the fact that I helped make that happen because then you'd be like, okay, but I can make sure it doesn't happen again. And I can, I can make sure all the awesome things happen as well. Like I take responsibility for everything in my life, good and bad, which gives me the power to now only create good. Like it, it, it's, it's weird. It is really weird. But you, you know, once you, once you do that, like all the horrible people just kind of just bounce out of your life. Um, all of the negative experiences, you know, just, just don't seem to exist anymore. And even small things like you don't get cut up on a motorway anymore but also you like get random 
you know, random checks or clients and like all, all lots of good stuff happens just as you need it. Um, and none of the bad. So I, I'm grateful that I'm still here and I get to have like 80, 80 years of fun, 21 years of, of terror for 80 years of fun. And I think that's a good, that's good, that's odds. A good way to look at it. And I think I spoke to you about this um, when I spoke to you the other week and I think we were sort of relaying that we both read quite similar books and stuff. And, um, and I, I totally get where you're coming from in terms of you've got to think good thoughts as much as often as you can, because that is part of the healing process. Forgiveness, forgiveness, sorry, forgiving is, is the, is a big way forward for a lot of people. And, you know, like, and it does help you grow. It really does help you grow. And it does, help you overcome illness and everything I think because yeah. you, you just can't hold on to those things because they're tucked inside your body aren't they I feel like oh you've got to let it out because it's quite scary to keep it inside you and that's I think that's the really scary thing especially if you start um looking into you know spiritual side of things and all the self-development things is you know you then start being worried about saying something negative or you start being worried about having a negative thought because you think oh my god I'm just going to attract it like if I have that negative thought, then I put it out in the universe and that means that's going to happen. Like, you know, we all have bad days. We all have negative thoughts. It, it, it's not that fast. Like otherwise we'd literally be walking down the street, you know, I'd have fish fly at me. Oh, I want fish for dinner. Here's a fish. Like it doesn't happen that fast. Like, you have to be in that emotional state for a while um, I think that's the that's the key to healing is actually um, there's a huge misconception that our thoughts direct um, our actions and our thoughts direct what we attract. It's not it's our feelings, and um, we are feeling beings, and our feelings is a, it's a chemical reaction. So much like as me on the motorway, it was like fear after fear after fear. Like that was biology overwhelming, um, and then my brain kind of catches up. Um, but your, your thoughts, your feelings and your emotions, they're all tied together, your actions, your thoughts and your feelings. And the, the easiest one to change is your feeling. And biologically, emotions last 90 seconds, which is really frustrating because some days you want to feel bad for a whole day. And now that I've just ruined that for you by telling you <laughs> biologically, you can only feel bad oh. for 90 seconds. <laughs> um, actually, it's given you an opportunity to go, hey, do you know what? I need to feel it for this 90 seconds, but I don't need to feel it for the next one. But you know, I, I still tell all my clients, hey, do you know what? If you feel bad, some days you need to get the ice cream out, get your onesie on and put the Disney's on because you've probably just been ignoring it and it's built up. So you need the release. But yeah, biologically, uh, you've only got 90 seconds to feel bad. That's it, tough. <laughs> I'm gonna say that now, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that Disney ice cream life is my every day yeah. at the moment. <laughs> um, what about someone who is, let, let's take me for example, I was diagnosed with anxiety um, a few years ago and I've come off and gone back on a medication for it, but um, I'm guilty of being that person who say, will say, oh, but I get anxiety and it's my get, it's my, it's my get out of jail free, yeah. you know, yeah. oh, but I'm an anxious person, oh, but I get anxious, oh, but, but that's me labeling myself and exacerbating that problem. Equally, um, when I came off medication before, I did that myself, and that was a bad move. And then I did end up going back on it. I'm on a very low dose of it now, but I feel like that's my label. Mm -hmm. And so I live out under that. Um, it's really bad, but like when you said someone who's anxious will procrastinate and all that kind of, I was like, 
I was almost going to start going, that's me, that's me. I am guilty of all of those things. Um, but I don't want to be that way. But when I am that way, it's like, oh, but I'm anxious. Oh, but I, how does someone who has had that kind of, um, whatever the mental struggle may have been, what you're saying is there's a way out of all of those. Is that right? Yeah. So it's really interesting. So anxiety and depression and all mental illness are really interesting because they are usually caught up with our identities and they usually, you know, 75% of all mental illness is diagnosed before 18, um, which is the puberty and 50% are before um, 14. So as we are developing who we are, we then get this this illness i'm going to put it in air quotes and i know you on your podcast can't see it but i'm going to put it in air quotes the reason being is it's not the same as a broken leg um so if you break your leg and your leg heals you don't have broken leg illness if you have um, mental illness and even if you heal what you get told is that you're in recovery not that you've recovered right um, so just that language means that you were always thinking, well, it will happen again because I'm in recovery. Okay. I'm just managing it. I'm managing my anxiety. So we own mental illness. Um, and it's really interesting. I think I was saying to Kat before is that actually when you look at people who are maybe on Twitter and they'll call themselves the anxious mum, that's who they are. So when I come along and say, hey, I can get rid of that. Like, <laughs> that puts the fear of God into people. <laughs> Like, but who am I? It's like me going, okay, well, um, you know, you, 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 you're a girl. Um, oh, I can make you a man. Yay! And you're like, what? <laughs> I don't want to be a guy. Um, so you have to acknowledge that you are not just an anxiety person. You are Liberty, who is a mum, who is a woman, who is, you are all of these amazing things. And anxiety is a coping mechanism when things are going rough. That's it. So we all have that within us. Like then even people who are struggling with, even somebody who has got autistic spectrum disorder or um, ADHD or specific learning disorders, which are neurodevelopmental disorders, which means their brains is wired differently. Okay. So everybody else had normally wired brains that went a bit wobbly when we had trauma um, and we wired in unhelpful coping mechanisms. That's what anxiety is. That's what depression is. That's what schizophrenia, they're, they're wired in unhelpful coping mechanisms so that we can function. That's all the brain's trying to do. Even somebody who's got a neurodevelopmental disorder, um, you can rewire and overcome. Um, you know, I'm proof of that with my with my maths, <laughs> my maths unskillness. Now, uh, this is amazing because <laughs> you are not a maths person, right? No, no, not a number person. I think that's an understatement. But you um, can be when you need to be, in yes. the same way that you can yes. open new pathways in your brain that takes you around that problem. Yes. In, and that's, that's the interesting thing. So dyscalculia is a neurodevelopmental. So my brain is literally wired 
incorrectly when it comes to things math. So that's number, time, areas, weights, measures. Um, my poor Matt has to say everything in bags of sugar. Like, and, and before he would have to get the bag of sugar and flour and pile them up for me so I could like understand weight. Um, <laughs> everything's measured in like him height or me height. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, and I, I still don't understand. If he said 20 foot, he would, every time he says 20 foot, he would have to go, that's about, da, 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 da. and I'd be like, mm. Okay, I get it. Um, but because in order for me to get my master's, I had to do advanced. And it's like, if you've ever done normal statistics, like that's hard. Um, so I had to do advanced yeah. statistics and experimentation. And they taught us all of the formulas and we had to do it all by hand. So it wasn't any of the computer stuff. Is I had to go into an, an hour exam and work out really complicated formulas um, because that's how you work out, you know, how unwell somebody is on a psychometric test. So for six weeks prior to my exam, I got up at six o'clock in the morning. I took a few weeks off work um, and I only worked like night shift. So pretty much did six till six doing old test papers over and 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 over again. That's what I did. And it took me. Um, so I would get them all wrong and I would go, OK, well, what did I do wrong that time? And maybe I'd get one right next time. And over and over and over again, I walked into the exam and I knew those formulas. I wrote, walks in finished the paper before anyone else because I was like I need to get it down because it's going to go up my brain I walked out of that exam and I will not be I can't do it now it's not there and the reason why it's not there is because it's not something that me means a big de deal to me like had it then become something I wanted to invest my yeah. time in mm. I could have carried on learning and made those connections more permanent um so you know six weeks or so is not enough to build a permanent pathway the problem is that if you have got unhelpful pathways, which is what anxiety and depression is, and everything else kind of comes afterwards, if you ignore your coping mechanism long enough, you will develop others. Um, and all your brain's trying to do is say, like, you need to stop, you need to deal with this, I'm going to give you something else to make you stop, I'm going to give you something else to make you stop. But we will all kind of go either anxiety or depression in the beginning. Like, one of those two, after six months, we get the next one, and we get more and more and more. So I'm somebody who will first develop anxiety. That's, that's my, my instinctual coping mechanism. So if you've trained that in, you can't just untrain it. You have to build a new way of doing it. The problem with anxiety is the only way to overcome it is by doing the very thing. And I always say overcoming anxiety is the same as staring down the barrel of a gun that's loaded. Mm because that's what goes on biologically like mm. that is what's happening so the first thing you need to do is break down the thing that's terrifying you okay so you know if you're scared of lifts like you wouldn't just go like run head first into a lift and press like top top floor and then like hope for the best like that's insane <laughs> <laughs> you would maybe look at lifts online you'd maybe go and scope out some buildings with lifts maybe you'd go and touch the lift so it's all about um doing tiny little baby steps and anytime you feel the panic rise you'll do something like deep breathing or okay. Um, EFT or whatever it is so that you bring your biological down you have to bring your biology down and then you go the next step the next step the next step and then eventually you're like hey it, it doesn't bother me anymore um, but the first thing you have to do is acknowledge that you are not an anxious person you use anxiety to cope but right. it's not always helpful so making that distinction actually gives you the power to do something else because otherwise you're undoing your identity yeah which is a whole other ball game of stuff yeah 
that's really interesting thank you no worries that's, we, um, we are... helpful to you though isn't it liberty sorry that's quite helpful to you though isn't yeah, it yeah it is and uh working with you cat and doing all the amazing things we've done with well life tribe and eft and tre and um meditation and things like that i've started to notice like an alleviation of things like i'm a big jaw clencher and um i get bad headaches and stuff like that and i remember the first time i did yoga with you cat and, and, and we finished the session and i was like <gasps> My jaw feels really slack. And, and, and there's literally, uh, you know, I'm just perpetually going around in this kind of, and that's when it was bad. And, and, and then I joined Well Life Tribe and there were all these complimentary kind of um, things we were doing. And I couldn't believe it was like they were uncoiling this really tight spring. And, and it just, it's been amazing. But now I'm at the point where I don't feel like I'm that person anymore, but I'm scared not to be and and that's that's sort of a weird thing I'm like but if I step away what if I fall back to that but it's having the courage to keep Kat's really good at making me do things that I think I but I can't do that and she mustn't trust me to do that and then I do it and I'm like oh my god I I, I did it yeah I did it what's next <laughs> and that's probably part of what you're you're talking about Katie is doing things you know putting myself outside my comfort zone is where I start to feel better and just remember it's a biological it's a nat it's a it's a finely tuned natural reaction that we all have like our bodies have built in the fight flight or fear response over hundreds of thousands of years like yeah it's like it is phenomenal it will save you it will stop you throwing yourself off a cliff it you know accidentally it will stop you running into a den of lines like it is there to save your life yeah the problem is when we attach that panic feeling to something that is not going to be harmful now the other myth that i'd love to bust because this is going to help so many people who are struggling with anxiety is that you cannot fight um fear with positive thought it doesn't work it doesn't work fear is the strongest motivator because it's the one that will save your life so if you've been trying to do affirmations um, and you've been trying to do all these positive thinking things and actually it leaves you um, setting off your negative thoughts because and, and sometimes meditation can do that so if you're very unwell stay away from meditation because it gives you subconscious free reign um, so it can be very dangerous um, so if you're unwell yoga EFT all of those things are safer ways to start but the only way you fight fear is with fear like you have to find the thing that's scarier um so when you're saying you know what well, i'm kind of scared about what the the grass looks like um and that's anxiety to tease it's fear of the unknown like mm. it's really scary this side of the fence but i could step over there and land in the lions like how do, how do i know they're not there um yeah. so what you have to do is you go okay um so if my life stays exactly the same what does it look like in six months what does it look like in three years what does it look like in 10 years and you you have you go to the scary places so for me with the the forgiveness stuff if i don't forgive and i continue to be in this very unwell state one i won't be able to help my clients properly but two I won't be able to do all the stuff I need to do in my business because I'm making, I'm making bad decisions because I'm trapped in fear. So what does that look like? Well, actually, my business gets shut down. I'm not well enough to get a job. What does that mean? Well, we lose our house. What does that mean? The person who's been by my side for 17 years at that point disappears. What does that mean? Well, I'm homeless and I'm on a street and I've got nothing to show for myself. 
what does that mean? I, I might as well have just won at that car journey. And when you sit there going, I either do this or I end up there, like that is inevitable if I don't overcome this. Mm. You're like, I don't want that. If I just have a go, see what happens. And you just have those little goes. Um, and I love yoga for those of you who've never tried it, especially if you're anxious, because if you've never done it, you will spend so much energy and concentration on not falling over. Mm. Your anxiety will disappear because it doesn't come out. <laughs> yeah, it's do. mad. It's the maddest thing. Yeah, yoga is amazing. I love How it. Do you, yeah. How do you, yeah, what are your things that you like to do, Katie? How do you look after yourself? So I do, um, I journal every single day. So journaling um, is the most powerful and I'm going to stay, I'm going to stake my claim on that. Journaling is the most powerful thing we can do to overcome any kind of emotional wobbliness. The reason being is it tunes in your conscious, your subconscious and your actions because you're writing, you're thinking and you're, it will trigger your subconscious, which triggers your biology. It's the only thing I found and I've looked at a lot of things that actually has all three on board. Um, it's also, if you're really struggling, it's a lot easier to kind of write um, things down. So if you're doing a gratitude practice, you can say like, you know, I am grateful for my TV and you don't feel anything. But if you're writing, you know, I'm grateful for my TV. TV, well, why? How is this going to make me? How does this make me feel? Because the feeling is the important thing. Um, so every morning I do a, a thirty. I say thirty minutes, but it usually ends up about forty minutes because I wander, which you will have um, gathered <laughs> during this. No, we love it. Love podcast. it. Um, so sometimes we have like random conversations while we're on there. So I lead my two groups in a in a morning journaling practice every single morning at eight o'clock, um, which is a huge investment of time. It's something that a lot of people don't do with groups, but I know my clients wouldn't get the results that they need if I wasn't there for them when things were going wobbly. Um, so I'll do that. I'll take my dogs for a walk because more like a walk <laughs> is so powerful for your health. Um, yeah. And I usually have a story on, so I don't get time to. Read Read. so I will listen to stories when I'm walking the dogs um, sometimes do yoga but at the moment I'm finding it difficult to fit it in but I usually after my journaling practice with the group when the camera goes off um, and they've seen me in pajamas and in my bed when I've been unwell I've been like on on the phone like at my worst and then obviously at my bounciest um, <laughs> but I'll do some forgiveness work I do daily forgiveness even if it's like I forgive myself for having that glass of red wine when I didn't really need it um, <laughs> Like those little ones. Because you're thinking it, you will be feeling guilty about it. So you just, yeah. Need to, um, yeah. And then I'll do some free journaling, you know, about, um, you know, because I have this thing that I want, you know, what's my life look like now? Um, so, very much anything you're doing that's visualization, if you can journal, um, is so much more powerful. And then it's a record. If you're having a really bad day, like it's a record of all the amazing things that are going on in your life. And it's a really grounding thing. Um, but yeah, so I'm a huge journaling fan. And the reason why- At the moment reason... as well, sorry to interrupt. I think at the moment in isolation, yeah. it's a really good tool, isn't it? To yeah. understand how each day is different to the, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all think everything's merging together, but it's, it's different feelings and senses every day. So we write it down you can see that can't you yeah and we do like a miracle moment so at the end of every single day you must find one thing that was amazing and it might be so i'll read you mine from this morning um so the best thing oh i was naughty um the best thing about <laughs> yesterday was me and matt had a, a naughty drive not like naughty <laughs> but because you're not allowed to go out unless it's essential 
Um, so we went and got water for the fish change, which um, is essential because we're starting to get algae build up. Um, and then at the same time, I got my mum to leave some knitting needles in the porch um, because I couldn't order any offline. So that was a little bit naughty. And then we went like the long way home and went through all the trees. And so that was like beautiful. So, you know, I was like, I did have to like tap. I think it's hilarious. It's me like doing all this in the car um, because I was like, I'm going to start attracting the policeman. <laughs> We're going to get the fine. <laughs> so it's just finding one thing in the day that actually made made it pleasurable um, because there's lots of things in our days but we we just hold out for the giant things and and, and you know yeah. you opened the door for you like they gave you their time and time mm. is the most most powerful thing in the universe uh, and somebody else giving you their time like that is always the miracle always because yeah. uh, they never get that back um but yeah so it's finding and that's a really nice thing to kind of think of before sleep uh, before you go to bed is, is hold on to your miracle moment but yeah so it's nice that i love I, i'm a journal fan and the reason why everybody loves meditation since it's been around for thousands of years is because people couldn't write before uh... yeah we didn't but even all the, we couldn't write so yes it is a phenomenal tool but had journaling been around then and people could write then, how do we know that it wouldn't have run out? So That's I mean, interesting. Yeah, people, don't, people don't acknowledge the fact that we've only really been writing and had access to paper and tools for journaling, freely access to it, maybe only a hundred years or so. Mm. Although I do like meditating just to make room for nothing. Yes. I like to have that space in my mind where, you know, when I meditate just to be there and not have to think and just try and teach myself that nothing is okay for a moment. I can only do it after yoga. I have to wait. So I have to have like wobbled and fallen over and concentrated so much that it's cleared out. Otherwise my brain's going at 300 mile an hour. Um, but yeah, or after journaling, then I can meditate. But if I sit down, I'm like, 30 seconds in. I'm, doing it. <laughs> I'm impatient. <laughs> oh, Katie, we could talk to you all day long. Oh, no. And I feel like there's so much more to um, talk about. But I think we'll have to have another podcast with you. <laughs> I'd love to come back. Katie, if we wanted to um, find more about uh, out about you or um, your work, where would we look for you? Um, so I am across all social media except LinkedIn because I got kicked off for being too active. <laughs> you could get kicked off yeah if, if you if you're if you're really um chatty um and enthusiastic um and are out there they think you're a bot and they won't talk to you to convince them that you're not a bot um so that what? was last year <laughs> yeah um so i'm not on linkedin although i'd like to be um maybe they'll forget and reallow me in a while but um, also uh, my website um, is um, www.katiewoodland.co.uk. Thank you, Katie. Yeah, and thank you for so, being so honest about everything that you've been through. Um, I think you would have helped so many people. And again, people can uh, also listen to your TEDx, can't they? Yes. 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 How and cool. you're a as well, aren't you? So they can read a book. 
Yes, um, and so the book, um, so everything follows the, um, this is what you need to do for your health, this is what you need to do for your business. So it's a it's a 12 week step by step, um, overcome your demons and make sure your business is kind of running safely. Um, yeah, so there's a book, uh, membership, like all of that kind of follows, um, it's called uh, The Female Entrepreneur Roadmap to Health, Wealth and Happiness. Um, amazing. Step by step. I'm definitely going to buy a copy of that. I think that sounds amazing. Um, yeah. And you're so inspirational. I've loved my conversations with you. And just thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Katie. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.